Welcome back to Enemy of the Surveillance State, where we discuss news tips and open source tools to help you protect your privacy in an age of mass digital surveillance. I am your host, C. Mitchell Shaw, and starting this episode, we're going to be doing a series on how to de-Google your life. That's right. We're going to get Google out of your life. We're going to start with this episode discussing browsers and search engines. So we're not going to be using Chrome anymore, and though it's not Google, we'll see you later, Microsoft browser. Uh, And we're also going to talk about how to use other search engines other than Google to return privacy-friendly, liberty-friendly results. This episode of Enemy of the Surveillance State. So I want to thank everybody again for your patience. It seems like I'm I'm doing that a lot. Okay, I I I run. Uh, you know, when I first started this podcast, uh, it was a labor of love, and, and it still is. I really enjoy doing this podcast, but life gets in the way too, right? And uh, so I've had to take a couple of breaks from time to time for health issues and family issues and what have you. Uh, I'm back. I. Don't foresee anything on the horizon that should prevent future episodes from rolling out on a weekly basis. Uh, Pray that that works out. So um, at any rate, we're going to talk about Google and de-Googling our lives. This is the biggest question that I've gotten from listeners. Mitch, I, I get the privacy thing. I understand, but I use an Android phone. You know, I use a, maybe a, a Chromebook. Or, you know, uh, I the fastest way for me to get results is to just Google something. In fact, Google has become so synonymous with searching the web that we use it as a verb. Oh, just Google it. It's worth a Google. Um, I don't say that. I say search the web. I will occasionally catch myself saying, well, just Google it. Um, and by that, I never actually mean use Google, uh, right? So this is the biggest question. And then you know, how do we move on from there to replacing things like Google Docs and Google Maps and, and all of these things that work so well together and are free to use, but are specifically designed to harvest your data, to create the profile about you that I talk about way back on episode one, why surveillance matters even if you have nothing to hide. So the biggest question I get is, okay, Mitch, how do I get Google out of my life? Uh, I can tell you, my listeners, that I have been Google-free entirely for a couple of years now, with the exception of some of the work that I do uh, for the New American Magazine and some of the work that I do uh, in, I've taken on some narration, I've begun to produce audio books, and the folks that I work for, for those projects, the, my clients for those projects, the New American and the publishers that I publish books for, um, they all use Google Drive for me to drop that stuff into for them then to get it out of that Google Drive because it's too large to, to send in an email attachment and they don't want me to put it on a thumb drive and mail it to them. I don't let that bother me and I'll tell you why. These are all things that I intend to see published anyway. These are not private. Uh, I don't care. 
if the latest book that I recorded for Tan Books uh, is read or listened to um, by my handlers at the NSA or by my masters at Google. I don't care that an article that's going to be published or a video that's going to be published in a week or so anyway uh, is seen or viewed or harvested by either the NSA or Google or whoever that intended to be published to begin with. So I never really considered those things to be private. Everything else, everything else in my life is Google free. I don't use Google products or services for anything. I have found privacy-friendly workarounds that allow me to get the things that I need done without having to rely on Google for anything. And I'm going to begin to share that with you guys uh, in a series of episodes, starting with this episode. So first, let's talk about browsing the web, because searching the web and browsing the web are closely related, but they're not exactly the same thing. So you turn on your computer, you quote, go online, end quote, right? So like you you launch a browser and that browser, if it's a brand new computer from Microsoft is probably Microsoft Edge, right? Uh, and I've said for years that the Microsoft browser is the very best browser in the world on Windows to use for downloading a browser that actually works, right? So in other words, uh, the last several years that I was still using Microsoft products before I made the switch to Linux more than 10 years ago, um, the very first thing I would do when I got a new computer is I would launch Microsoft uh, Internet Explorer. Then it was Internet Explorer. I would launch that once and I would download uh, something like Firefox or Chrome, right? And then I would never open the fire, the, uh, the internet, the Microsoft Internet Explorer browser again. I would just never use that again. Tried a couple of times to remove it. Of course, it borked my Windows install and I had to reinstall it to get everything to work right because they make it deliberately hard for you to remove these things, even if you're never going to use them. But over the last 10 years of using Linux and really focusing on privacy, I've come to realize that the Chrome browser is exactly what the full name of the browser is, Google Chrome. It's owned, developed, and used by Google. Oh, you say, but I'm using the Chrome browser. No, 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 no. You're on the other end of the Chrome browser while Google is using that browser that they gave you for free to harvest your data. So you're going online, you've got your browser up, and you go to do a web search. Now, most of the time, you don't type in google.com, enter, and then wait for Google to open, and then type something in the search bar. You just go up into the bar at the top of your browser, the URL bar, and you type whatever you're looking for. Whatever your browser is set up to use as the default search engine, and if you've not changed it at all yourself, it's probably either Bing or Google, okay? So whatever that default search engine is performs the search and you see a whole screen full of stuff and you click something and go to it and no harm, no foul, except that everything that you're searching and every website that you visit, whether it's through a search or you actually type it in, you type in 
thenewamerican.com or you type in npr.probablyorg, probably ought to be npr.gov, but it's probably.org. You type in whatever you're typing in and you hit enter. It doesn't matter whether you performed that search or you typed that in yourself to visit a website that you already know or you've got it stored in your bookmarks or whatever. You click the link. None of that matters. It's all being monitored. It's all being tracked across the web. You are being tracked across the web with every search and every visit. Every website you go to and every thing you search for is being cataloged and held onto. Unless, unless you are using a privacy-friendly browser or a privacy-friendly search engine. Now, longtime listeners will know that I have often in the past promoted DuckDuckGo as a good privacy-friendly alternative to Google. I can't do that anymore. Uh, new report. Uh, in fact, I just wrote about this today for the New American Magazine. Huge Twitter thread uh, over the weekend when using everybody's fa favorite beast of burden today, which is the war in Ukraine, right? So uh, a year ago, two years ago, everybody's favorite beast of burden was COVID. Um, now it's the war in Ukraine. This has to be the thing that we blame everything on, pin everything on everything on and use as an excuse for everything. So using that, the CEO and founder of DuckDuckGo tweeted that they are going to begin, um, essentially, he didn't use the word censorship, but he eventually, he essentially admitted that what they're doing is censorship. What he wrote is um, that they uh, are downranking, quote, sites associated with disinformation. Now, they don't define what that means or even what disinformation means, and that's fine. And they say they often uh, place news modules and information boxes at the top of DuckDuckGo search results where they are seen and clicked the most to highlight quality information for rapidly unfolding topics. This sounds exactly like what Google's been doing for years, that we all left Google, or many of us left Google and went over to DuckDuckGo to avoid. I don't want a search engine to catalog my searches and surveil on me. I don't want a search engine that harvests my data, but I also don't want a search engine that censors my searches. If I do a search for something about COVID, or if I do a search for something because I want to better understand the war in Ukraine, or I do a search because I want to know what really happened on January 6th, or I do a search because I want to know what's going on in the LGBTQ plus agenda, the, the LGBTQ plus lobby, I want to know what's going on. I want to know that the results that are returned to me from that search are unfiltered. I want to know that what I'm finding are actually the most relevant results based on what I typed into the search engine, not what my masters in big tech or small tech, if we're going to talk about DuckDuckGo, have decided is, quote, relevant or not. Okay, so they've done that. 
That's what they've done. They've come right out and admitted. Uh, and then you got you got to go check out the Twitter thread. It, it blows up with people just really taking them to task. And at some point, the CEO, uh, his last name is Weinberg. I don't have his first name handy right now, though I just wrote about this. Uh, ADD is a blessing and a curse, by the way. Uh, but anyway, he um, he attempted to sort of ameliorate this by by interacting with uh, the people who were taking him to task on this thread. And one of the things that he said is point blank, because uh, somebody said uh, that the purpose of Duck, Duck, the whole point, quote, the whole point of DuckDuckGo is for you not to do that. His response is the whole point of DuckDuckGo is privacy. The whole point of the search engine is to show more relevant content over less relevant content. And that is what we continue to do. Right. So he says, no, no, no. The, the point of DuckDuckGo was never that we wouldn't censor you. And we're going to censor you. And we're going to continue to censor you. We're not going to let you search for things that are off of the approved list of things that you're allowed to search. And if you do, we're not going to let you find results that are off of the approved list of results. So this gets weird, though. If we just stop and think. At some point, the approved list came to include things that had been not on the approved list. So a year ago, if you had posted on social media that masks make no difference or are ineffective in preventing the spread of COVID, your post would have been taken down or at least flagged as False information, misinformation, right? Now, the CDC says that a cloth mask is ineffective at preventing the spread or transmission of COVID-19. So now that's approved information. This thing that was misinformation is now approved information. What, what is my point? My point is that nobody else should get to decide what is approved or unapproved, what is misinformation and what is information. If I do a search for something, let me find what I'm looking for. I don't need a parent organization treating me like a parent, acting like a parent toward me and treating me like a child to tell me that I'm not allowed to find this particular information or that particular information. If I'm doing a search on what happened on January 6th, it's because darn it, I want to know what actually happened on January 6th. Not that I want to know what Google thinks about what happened on January 6th or wants me to think. Not what DuckDuckGo may or may not want me to think. Now, this, this kind of goes back to whether DuckDuckGo has a political agenda and a dog in that fight. And this reminds me, now I've gotten off of all social media, by the way. If you go to try to follow enemy of the surveillance state on Twitter or Facebook, good luck with that because uh, we're not there anymore. I, I nuked it all. I just realized that I've only got so many hours in a day and I don't have time to chase down every rabbit trail and social media is designed to harvest your data. Now, I was there to promote the show. I was there to, to get this show up and running. And one thing that I've noticed is that even when I take these long hiatuses, even when something comes up in my life, and it's been six months since the last episode, in those six months, for the first time ever, Right in the middle of those six months, I had one day where there were no downloads of this show. 
people want this information, and I'm surprised at how many people find Enemy of the Surveillance State without me promoting it on social media. Without It has nothing to do with whether or not I tweet my latest episode or go to Facebook and, and share my favorite episode to a Facebook group or anything like that. I have found that that made no difference in whether or not I was getting downloads to, to the show, whether or not I was getting comments, whether or not I was getting uh, people viewing it on YouTube. That is the one last place, uh, but only because I have such a high level of listenership on YouTube, which is owned by Google. Okay. So there's, maybe I'm a little, uh, maybe I'm a little hypocritical there. I don't think so. But then do hypocrites ever really know they're being hypocritical? I, I don't know. Um, I am still on YouTube and I plan to stay on YouTube for the time being because I do have a large percentage of subscribers that listen to the show that do so on YouTube. And I don't mind using Google's platform to teach people how to get rid of Google in their lives. So as we move forward in this, and you've made the decision to completely get Google out of your life, that's going to include Facebook, I'm sorry, YouTube. And so that's going to mean you're going to need to find another way to um, listen to the show, right? So you can subscribe at Podbean. Just download the Podbean app or any other podcatcher app and just put in a search for Enemy of the Surveillance State, find it, click the subscribe or follow button or whatever that platform calls it, and you're back off and running and to heck with YouTube and Google. But for right now, I'm still on there. Now, what I was saying earlier is that as a result of all of this censorship that takes place on the web, you need a web browser and a search engine that you know are not monitoring you they're not following you across the web, and they're not censoring what you can and can't see. For that, I recommend the Brave browser. Now, Firefox has had some issues, and then, of course, uh, going back a little while, um, Chrome, you know, Google Chrome. Now, you can use, and I like, Chromium, which is the open source project from which the Chrome browser is built. It's, it's Chrome before Google gets a hold of it and inserts all their little Google bits in it. So if you want to go download the Chromium browser, that's a good one. I really like Brave because the guy behind Brave, Brendan Eich, um, this is the guy that was behind Mozilla and wrote the code for Java. Okay, so JavaScript um, is, is Brendan Eich. Brendan Eich wrote the JavaScript programming language, um, without which the internet as we know it simply would not exist because websites as we know them, and I know I'm blurring the line between the internet and the and the web there, but my point being websites as we know them would likely not exist without JavaScript. Oh, sure, someone would have come along and done something, but Brendan Eich did it. He also helped found the Mozilla trilogy of organizations that eventually brought us the Firefox browser. Now, interesting note about Brendan Eich is that several years ago, when it was still politically okay to do so, it wasn't so politically incorrect that it would ruin your life to say that marriage is between one man and one woman. That is the definition of marriage and nothing else is marriage. 
okay, when it was still okay to say that, you know, way back when, uh, like 2012, when Hillary Clinton was saying that and Barack Obama was saying that and neither of them got their lives ruined for it, during that time, Brendan Eich made a donation to a proposition to support that legislatively in his state of California. And um, that was cool. It was his own money. He made a donation. Everything's fine. Now, flash forward a few years, Brendan Eich has become the CEO of Mozilla. And that lasted a whole few days before the LGBTQ lobby uh, took their rainbow-colored baseball bats to his life, uh, demanding his resignation. And he was eventually, in fact, very quickly ousted from Mozilla, the organization, the company that he helped build and had been with since the beginning, and then had eventually ascended to the CEO ship of, he was ousted. So what did Brendan do? He'd crawl off somewhere and lick his wounds and, and, and cry into his beer? No, he did what creators and innovators do. He made lemonade out of those lemons. Uh, he launched a new browser, not based, by the way, on Firefox, but based on Chromium, and did so in a way that, again, completely innovates the internet. Because, you know, we all hate ads. We all hate ads on the internet. But we understand that it's kind of a catch-22. Uh, a website is not going to be able to continue to produce quality content that drives people to that website unless they have a way to monetize that website. And the easiest way to monetize a website is through searches and, and ads and uh, you know, they get paid per click for these ads. So what Brendan Eich did with the Brave browser is he created a browser that blocks all of that by default, but then creates a personal profile. And when I say personal profile, that's not in the creepy sense. I mean, truly personal. It lives on your machine. It never goes off of your machine. Nobody outside of your laptop or your phone or your desktop computer can ever see that profile. But then that profile reaches out to the web and will bring in ads that actually are relevant to you. And he's got a model, a module in there where you can uh, you can have a wallet and you get paid for uh, web searches and and sites that you visit. You know how much time you spend clicking ads, right? You actually share in the per click profits. It's not much, but it's something. And then you can choose to reward certain content creators, certain websites, uh, with the proceeds that you collect there. Or you could be a, a greedy capitalist pig and hang on to all of that for yourself. Or you can turn off ads completely in the, in the Brave browser and just never see ads. Uh, it's a very, very effective ad blocker, too. Uh, when I write for The New American, I occasionally have to go to, like, Daily Mail, uh, this British news website, very, very liberal, but neither here nor there, I very often go there because I'm citing an article that they've written and I want to get the citation correct. And then also, if need be, link back to their article. I try not to do that because of what I'm about to say. The right-hand side of that website, uh, no matter what article you're on, is what I would consider softcore pornography. So I don't want to see that, right? So I had this long habit. I keep a, a business size a mailing envelope on my desk and I'd prop it up against the right side of my laptop screen or whatever so that I just couldn't even see that stuff. But then 
I moved over to this three monitor setup that I've got on my desk right now, and that was no longer practical. So it just occurred to me, hey, I wonder if I can block that in Brave. And sure enough, it was as easy as opening up the settings in Brave and telling it that there was something I wanted to block. And then it asked me what I wanted to block. And I hovered over that and clicked it and it's gone. And then I can close that page and open an entirely new page at Daily Mail. And that element is still broken because it's still the same element no matter which page it's on, no matter which article it's accompanying. It's still the same code that's used to display that. And I've told Brave to break that code so I never see it anymore. It's gone. Uh, the, the ad blocking feature in Brave is better than any ad blocker I've ever seen. And because Brave runs light, and the reason it runs light, uh, and that's uh, light as in not heavy, the reason it runs so lightweight is because it's not running all that code in the background to monitor what I'm doing, right? My searches are very, very quick. Web pages open very, very quickly. It, it has been my daily driver as a browser for a couple of years at least now. It, it's, a, it's a great browser. Check it out. See what you think. You can go to brave.com and download it. It's a piece of cake to install. Once it's up and running, you can set it up the way you like it. Uh, it is based on Chrome or Chromium. So a lot of the things that you can do with Chrome, and it feels like Chrome. It, it, this, there's not a great big learning curve here. And then very recently in the last year or so, Brave introduced Brave Search. Now, I've had the folk, I've had the gals on from uh, StartPage, and I like StartPage. StartPage is a great uh, alternative and privacy-friendly search engine, okay? Uh, similar to what DuckDuckGo sells itself as. And, and, you know, I'll give that DuckDuckGo is probably keeping their promise about being privacy-friendly. But liberty is not divisible. Liberty is a living organism. And if you go cutting it up into pieces, you kill the whole thing. I can't really have liberty without privacy, but I also can't have liberty with censorship. So to heck with you, DuckDuckGo. You're DuckDuckGone. You're out of here. I'm done with you. And I'll never promote you again. Uh, the Brave search feature is, in my opinion, in my humble but accurate opinion, the best search engine I've ever seen because Google censors you and tracks you. Bing censors you and tracks you. Uh, Yahoo, is anybody still using that? I don't know. Uh, so your alternatives then become something like DuckDuckGo, which as it turns out is censoring you. And then there's Start Page. Start Page is great. <clears throat> Start Page does not actually do their own searches. And if you go back and listen to that episode, uh, then you'll see what I mean. They actually harvest Google results without you being monitored by Google. So there's going to be some censorship taking place there, though it's largely ameliorated by the way that, that Start Page does it. All of the results are dumped into one bucket, right? All of the results are dumped into one bucket, so they don't know if I'm in Bangladesh or Phoenix City, Alabama. They don't know where I am when I'm doing that search. So it would be really, really hard for them to limit that search based on things like my geography or whatever. So that's helpful. It's probably largely ameliorated, but it's not completely done away with. Uh, by the way, um, 
DuckDuckGo uses Bing's results. So it's the same thing because that's Microsoft, right? Uh, Brave Search actually does their own searches. They're not getting searches from somewhere else. Now, one thing that they do, because again, they don't have the jillion uh, size database of search results and what have you that Google or Bing or whatever has, uh, what they do allow you to do is turn on sort of a fallback. You say, you say, search for this thing. And if there aren't an awful lot of results for this thing, then fine, go ahead and show me Google and Bing results. Just tell me that those are Google's results and Bing's results. So it works great. I've been using it for ages now. They've also launched uh, a, a program, uh, a part of the platform, a part of uh, Brave that allows you, I think it's called Brave Meet or something like that. It's essentially uh, internet video conferencing done directly over the Brave browser. So step one, go get yourself the Brave browser. Step two, make Brave Search your default search engine in that. And uh, you're two steps closer to being Google free. And uh, you're doing so in a way that promotes privacy and promotes liberty even beyond privacy. Because what you search for is really up to you. And the results that you find when you search should be all of the results that really are relevant to your search, not based on someone else's political bias. It might mean that you see some opinions that you don't like. Well, you need to be a big boy or a big girl and get over that. It might mean that you see some results expressing opinions that big tech doesn't like. But to heck with big tech. I don't live for them. I'm trying to live my life in opposition to their vision for the world. And I imagine many of you are as well. So get the Brave browser, check out Brave Search. And um, next time we're going to talk about a, an entirely different element of how to get rid of Google in your life. But if you've got questions about anything that we've talked about in this episode or anything that you'd like us to talk about in regards to getting Google out of your life, uh, shoot me a message at enemyofsurveillance at protonmail.com or leave a comment uh, in, uh, if you're watching this on YouTube, leave a comment. Uh, if you're checking it out on the Podbean app, you can leave a comment there. Those are really the only places I'm going to see comments. So probably your best bet is to either leave me a comment at Podbean, leave me a comment at YouTube, or shoot me an email at enemyofsurveillance at protonmail.com. So until next time, God bless you, stay safe, keep it secret, keep it private, and we'll see you next time on Enemy of the Surveillance State. <laughs>